Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I'm your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle. Dion Sarah Gordon, enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. Fellas, brothers, dunnies, comrades, you know how sometimes you go to the bar, the nightclub, your local watering hole, and you're in the midst of a pussy slump, a vagina drought, you haven't gotten any in a long time. And there you are at the bar getting slizzered, getting saucy, getting fucked up, tossing a few back, whatever your drink of choice is, a Pinot Noir, as I'm drinking right now, Hennessy and Coke, a Jack and Coke, throwing back a little bit of beer, MJD, MGD, Bud Light, Crud Light, Coors Light, some Fireball, doing shots of Fireball with some white girls. You know how sometimes you go to the bar and you get fucked up and you're desperate and you're lonely and you haven't gotten any in a long time? And it's last call, and the lights come on, and it's 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, and you've been striking out more than Chris Davis of the Baltimore Orioles, and you're looking for something. You're just looking to come up on some type of ass. You're trying to get some pussy somewhere tonight. You ain't trying to go home with blue balls and jerk off into your right or left hand and have sticky fingers for the rest of the night as you fall asleep and count sheep. You're trying to lay down with something that night, or you just want to get your dick wet inside some type of vagina, some moist, warm buttery goodness vagina so the lights come on at 1 30 in the morning and there you are fucked up off about seven hennessy and cokes can't even walk straight slurred speech seeing double beer goggles the whole nine yards and you look down the end of the bar and you see this nasty ugly ass girl this fucking disgusting decrepit dilapidated looking but she's been giving you the eye all night she's been looking you up and down she's been sizing you up She's had you in her crosshairs the entire night. And when you walked in, you saw her at 11 o'clock when you walked in, but she was sober then. And you say, who the fuck is this nasty-ass chick and why she keep looking at me? But fast forward to 1.30, 2 o'clock, and you've been shot down and you've been rejected all night, and there she is, and she's still looking at you. And you just say to yourself, you know what, fuck it, man. I'm going to go ahead and just take one for the team. It's been a while. I'm going to do my thing. I'm just going to walk over and say hello to this bitch and see what happens. And she's, she's siced. Her panties are wet. She's down. She's down for the cause. She's ready to do whatever. And you take her home. First you stop in Waffle House. Then you go back to her place or your place or the local Motel 6. And you're banging out. You beat that pussy down like it stole something from you. You ransack and pillage through this vagina like angry shoppers on Black Friday. You hit this pussy harder than Dale Earnhardt hit the wall in Daytona. You beat this pussy down. Like Conor McGregor in every fight he gets in nowadays. You ain't had it in a while. You got unlimited nut. You can go multiple rounds like an old school 15 round boxing fight like Ali and Fraser in Madison Square Garden in 1971. You are wearing this pussy out. She's moaning. She's screaming. She's calling you daddy. Her eyes rolling in the back of her head like the Undertaker back in the day. Her weave being sweated out. She just had the weave put in that morning. It's already fucked up and gone. The sheets are all fucking sweaty. The headboard's banging against the wall. The neighbors are banging against the wall telling you to shut the fuck up and keep it down. It's 3 in the morning. I'm trying to sleep, goddammit, and you don't care. You're wearing this shit out, and she's loving it, and she's taking it, and she's receiving it, and then you pull out the very last second, right as she's about to climax, because you don't want no kids with this ugly-ass chick. You want to hit this and keep it moving. You want to get the kinks out your system, a slump buster. As it said in the movie Bull Durham, the legendary movie Bull Durham, this is a slump buster. It's been about four or five months since you got some trim. The last time you got some trim was the spring equinox. And there you are wearing this pussy out. And you pull out at the very last second. 
and you put your clothes back on and walk the fuck out. Say, ma'am, thank you for the wonderful night. I'll see you never again. Piss off. I'm out of here. Fellas, we've all been there before. Don't even front. Don't even lie. Don't bullshit. Don't act like you get it every single minute of the day. Stop lying to yourself. More importantly, stop lying to me. We've all been there before. Now, what does this have to do with anything? The moral of the story, what I'm trying to get at right now, what I'm really trying to say is sometimes you got to do what you got to do. It's not always pretty. It's ugly. It's bowling shoe ugly. It's No Limit Sneakers ugly. It's Nicki Minaj ass ugly. It's bad. But you know what? It still counts, and you'll take it. Similar to the San Francisco 49ers' victory over the Philadelphia Eagles last Sunday, it's ugly. It's fucked up. It's not pretty. It didn't look good at all. But you'll take it. 17-11 didn't record a first down to the two-minute warning in the first half. Could barely move the football. Did not look like a functioning NFL offense for the majority of the first half of this game. But yet, give the 49ers credit. Everybody involved. Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo, the defense, the offensive line, the running game, not so much. They were pretty much non-existent. But give everyone affiliated with the 49ers credit. That was a team victory. They grinded. They battled. They competed. That was a gritty victory. That was the best way to describe it. That was gritty. It's not always going to be pretty. This is the National Football League, as I've said many times on this podcast. These are grown-ass men. These are professionals. Everybody out here can play on some type of level. They wouldn't be on the field if they couldn't. Philadelphia's got a great front seven, being led by Fletcher Cox. Brandon Graham, who unfortunately tore his Achilles. Best wishes to him. Get well soon. But this is a very good Philadelphia Eagles front. They had a great game plan. They stifled the running game and forced Jimmy Garoppolo to win the game and give Jimmy Garoppolo credit, something I don't normally usually do because he doesn't really deserve it most of the time. But give Jimmy Garoppolo credit for battling, for competing. You know what Jimmy Garoppolo is really good at? Quarterback sneaks. He's awesome at that. Every time the 49ers needed a third down conversion, a fourth down conversion, a touchdown at the one-yard line, Kyle Shanahan called a quarterback sneak, and Jimmy Garoppolo executed to near perfection. Perfection, period. Not just near perfection, absolute perfection. Number 10 got the job done. Quarterback sneaks. For the entire game, he probably had like two good throws, but he did what he had to do. It was enough to win the football game. I'm not sure if it's enough to beat other teams, like better football teams, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the St. Louis Rams of Los Angeles, or the Seattle Seahawks, or the Arizona Cardinals, or the Green Bay Packers that we play this Sunday. I'm not sure if it's enough to beat quality football teams with that kind of performance, but a win is a win, and wins are hard to come by in the National Football League. And the San Francisco 49ers a five-time, 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 five-time Super Bowl World Heavyweight Champions have begun the 2021 NFL campaign 2-0, returning back to the crib, Levi Stadium in beautiful, sunny Santa Clara, California, for the home opener this Sunday versus the son-of-a-bitch Green Bay Packers, 2-0. Let's go ahead and dive into this. Jimmy Garoppolo led the 49ers at quarterback the entire way. Trey Lance did not play in this game. Much to my chagrin, much to many chagrin, there was a lot of people online during the game, on Twitter, on Facebook, on IG, every social media outlet, clamoring, saying, where's number five? Can we see Trey Lance, especially in that morbid, decrepit, disgusting, abysmal first half, where, as I said earlier, the 49ers couldn't achieve a first down to the two-minute warning? 
Jimmy Garoppolo was airmailing passes. He missed at least four open receivers. Had a couple of drops, but those were not entirely accurate throws either. He was off. He was awful in that first half. Disgustingly terrible. But, like I said, he battled. He showed grit and determination. He showed heart. Give him credit for that. Garoppolo finished with a 3.6-yard average depth of target. That means he didn't throw the ball that far. Then again, when is he ever? With only 28.6% of his yards coming through the air, he also made two turnover-worthy plays that the Eagles didn't take advantage of. One was he airmailed the pass to Brandon Ayuk. He sailed it over his head. It should have been picked off. It was dropped, thankfully. Then another, he tried to hit Debo Samuel in an out. The ball was almost picked off. Debo Samuel had to turn to a defensive back and break up the play to prevent the, what would have been a pick six. There was nobody in front of this guy who was about to make the pick for the Eagles. So, like I said, Jimmy was not sharp. He was about as, you know, he wasn't sharp. There's no, no other way to put it. Second half, Kyle Shanahan switched up the game plan. Uh, give him credit for that. Like I said, the running game wasn't working. So, instead of running it up the middle with straight handoffs or even outside zone, which is what the Shanahan offense is known for, he audibled and called a lot of toss plays to go on the, on the edge in the perimeter. Um, the passing game switched to a lot of screen passes. Garoppolo threw like, I don't know, a thousand screens in the second half. Those are easy passes to complete. And that's why your average depth of target is 3.6 yards. But it was enough. It was good enough to win the game. We should be happy, right? All the people in the 49er land, all the 49er faithful, the empire. We should be happy, exuberant, jubilant, jumping for joy off this awe-inspiring all performance by Jimmy Garoppolo last Sunday. The running game, as I said, was absolute shit. Elijah Mitchell, Jermichael Hasty, and Trey Sermon all suffered some type of injury throughout the game. Elijah Mitchell was knocked out of the game by, I think, an ankle injury. Jermichael Hasty came in. He was also knocked out of the game with an ankle injury. Trey Sermon came in the game and was cheap-shotted with a helmet-to-helmet hit and is now in concussion protocol. He was knocked out of the game. The 49ers running back situation is, is, complete, is in complete disarray and dire straits to the point we had to sign Trent Cannon from the Baltimore Ravens Last week, after last week's injury to Raheem Mostert, today we signed Jock Patrick, formerly of the XFL. When I saw the headline of the 49ers signed a running back from the XFL, I thought the 49ers had re-signed He Hate Me from the original XFL. Fortunately, it's not him. Uh, shout out to Rod Smart, but, you know, he's a little bit older now. That was like 20 years ago he played in the XFL. But it was Jock Patrick who played in the new, modern, up-to-date, up-to-date XFL um, and also signed Chris Thompson, formerly of the Washington football team, the players in Landover, whose name we can no longer say anymore. So the 49ers, like I said, in dire straits and running back is not looking good. What is looking good is my man Debo Samuel. Tuck your chain in. Debo coming. Who? Debo. Rest in peace to Anthony Johnson, a.k.a. Ezel, by the way. That Friday curse is real. I don't know if it's a curse or not, but a lot, a lot of members of that cast are no longer with us. That's unfortunate. That's really sad, but... But my man Debo Samuel was shining bright for the 49ers. He is undoubtedly the best football player currently on the San Francisco 49ers. Debo Samuel averaged eight point yards after catch and broke three tackles on his six catches. He produced three receptions of three receptions of 15 plus yards yards, which were the 49ers' lone explosive play of the day. The best throw Garoppolo had was in the two-minute drill right before the half. It's three-nothing Philadelphia. San Francisco has finally achieved the first down, finally got a drive going after a pivotal key goal line stand that was set up by a 91-yard reception by Quez Watkins. 
Uh, Jalen Hurts lost a bomb downfield to Watkins, who was being covered by rookie corner D'Amador Lenore, who started opposite the veteran receiver, saw 10 targets on 30 coverage snaps, and one of those targets was his 91-yard reception that took it down to about the six-yard line. Excellent play by Jaquaski Tart to run him down and make the stop. This set up the third and goal, the fourth and goal, the goal line situation. They tried running the Philly Philly special like it was Super Bowl 52, but unlike Super Bowl 52, it did not work. And this excellent play by the 49er defense. Fred Warner running sideline to sideline, making plays, tackling people, forcing Hurts out the pocket, forcing bad throws at the back of the end zone. Great goal line stop. San Francisco gets the ball back, drives it all the way down the field, and about midfield, Jimmy Garoppolo threads the needle with a perfect strike to Debo Samuel running an in-breaking route. He takes it 40 yards down to the 10-yard line, and then Jimmy Garoppolo connects with Juwan Jennings on an inaccurate throw behind Juwan Jennings, who was running a pivot route, but it was good enough, and there was no one around Jennings. He was able to slide into the end zone for the first touchdown today, 7-3, 49ers going into halftime. So they were abysmal. They were awful, disgustingly terrible. They were absolute shit in the first half, but they were able to put a drive together after that goal line stand and take a 7-3 lead going into the half. Wonderful play. Wonderful turn of events, the goal line stop, the 90-yard drive, the strike from Garoppolo to Debo Samuel, and the touchdown pass to Juwan Jennings on the, on the pivot route, even though the ball was thrown behind him, it was still a touchdown, good enough. And this was, this was the theme of the day. The 49ers weren't excellent. They, they weren't sharp, especially in the passing game, especially in the running game. The running game was non-existent, but it was good enough. And Debo Samuel, like I said, the best player on the team right now, the best player on the field Brandon Ayuk is in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse, not practicing hard enough, not showing enough behind closed doors with no cameras watching. I don't know what's going on in that situation. When I saw Brandon Ayuk practice back in August, he looked pretty good to me. He was the best player on the field that I saw, but I'm not Kyle Shanahan. So apparently he's not impressing Kyle, and that's the main man. That's the head coach. So Debo is really all we got. Trent Shurfield didn't really do, didn't really do anything last Sunday. Like I said, Jawan Jennings had a touchdown reception. That was about it. George Kittle not doing a whole lot either. I don't think I, I won't blame Kittle either. I just don't think the ball's coming his way. But he had like four catches. Most of them were like either behind or near the line of scrimmage. About 30 yards receiving. Like I said, the passing game is not in gear. I'm just gonna go ahead and get into it, man. Fuck all this, man. Yeah, we won the game. Like I said, though. Like I said earlier. Is that kind of performance enough to beat the top-tier, upper, upper echelon, elite football teams in the NFL? Can we beat the Kansas City Chiefs playing like that? No. Can we beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, your defending Super Bowl champions like that? Hell no. Can they beat, I don't know, the teams in our own division? No. Have you seen the Rams this season? Have you seen Matt Stafford is launching bombs down the field to Cooper Cup and Tutu Atwell and everyone else they got over there? The Rams are legit. I'm scared of the Rams. The Rams are like white people. I'm afraid of them. The Rams are just disgustingly good. They got a lot on both sides of the ball. And in our division, we got to play them twice a year. That team looks tough. The Cardinals, Colin Murray making plays every week. That team's resilient. They found a way to beat Minnesota last Sunday, even though I won't say they found a way to beat Minnesota. Minnesota always has a knack for snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Minnesota loses games they're supposed to win all the time. But give credit to Arizona. They found a way to win that game. Thank God the Tennessee Titans beat the Seattle Seahawks and kept them in one and one. But Seattle's still a rugged, good football team with Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Chris Carson in the backfield. That's a tough team. 
Can, can Jimmy Garoppolo beat those teams absent a running game? I don't think he can. And, you know, I, I heard Joe Staley, the former left tackle of the 49ers, legendary left tackle, great, awesome football player in Joe Staley. Because there's been a lot of talk this week about the 49er offense looking limited, not looking at all that explosive. They put up 41 points in the first game versus Detroit, but Detroit's terrible. Detroit's a bottom feeder. The Eagles... Who knows how good they're going to be. The Eagles blasted Atlanta in the first game of the season. But that's Atlanta. Atlanta's also a bottom feeder. But Philadelphia, like I said earlier, they have a good front. Jalen Hurts, I think, is an okay quarterback, getting better, young guy, learning the game. They got some smoke over there in Philadelphia, but I don't think it should have been this much of a struggle. I know it's in Philadelphia, which is a tough place to play because their fans are just lethal. That's a tough environment to play in. But still, if this team has Super Bowl aspirations, they should go in and blow the doors off a team like Philadelphia. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. And getting back to Joe Staley, I heard him say that the 49er offense isn't designed for big plays down the field. The challenge defenses vertically. And with all due respect to Joe Staley, who I, have, who I have an abundant amount of respect for, and the utmost respect for Joe Staley, salute to him. All-time great players should be in the 49er ring of honor one day. Nothing wrong with Joe Staley. But these comments, I know you played, you actually played for the team. I'll defer to you on a lot of levels. You were in that locker room. You were in that system. You know Shanahan and Garoppolo personally. I get it. But to tell the people to say the offense isn't designed to challenge teams vertically, to me, that's insane. I just don't, I don't believe that. I don't buy that. I don't accept that. Every off, a successful offense in the NFL has to challenge teams down the field in the vertical passing game. A football field is 53 yards wide, 100 yards long. Why not use every blade of grass, every inch on the field? If you throw the ball downfield, four things can happen. One, your guy can catch it for a big gain or a touchdown. Two, the referees are called defensive pass interference, which they call every play nowadays. If, you, if a DB breathes on a wide receiver in the wrong way, it's a pass interference nowadays. So really, every, every rule that's put in place benefits the offense. It would behoove you as an offense to challenge the defense vertically because you're probably going to get a flag. It's probably going to be a defensive PI. The third thing that can happen, yes, the DB can break up the play or pick it off. Or the fourth thing is it could just fall to the ground incomplete. Two out of four things are good. You have a 50-50 chance of something positive happening for the offense if you throw the ball down the football field. And this has been the biggest bugaboo for Jimmy Garoppolo his whole career with the San Francisco 49ers. And I just reject what Joe Staley had to say. Because if the offense is not meant to push the ball down the field, that's bogus to me. That's bullshit. Two years ago to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 54, the 49ers were in that game versus the Kansas City Chiefs. And what happened in that game? What did that game ultimately come down to? A pivotal throw down the field from Jimmy Garoppolo to Emmanuel Sanders, and he missed the throw. He airmailed the ball. He threw it 10 yards in front of Emmanuel Sanders. He missed the throw. So in the biggest, most important game of the season, what did Kyle Shanahan dial up to win the Super Bowl? A deep pass a post-pattern downfield, and Emmanuel Sanders had about two steps on two, two Kansas City defenders. Here's a theory. If you call more deep pass plays throughout the season, Jimmy Garoppolo gets more practice throwing deep balls down the field. 
So when you get to that pivotal moment, when you get to the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, when the opportunity for football immortality to stamp your legacy from here on out, to win Super Bowl title number six for the 49ers, to bring home number six finally, to be a champion, when you get to that moment, you airmail the ball because we have no practice doing it. At some point or another, the ball has to go down the field. You are not beating the quality football teams in this league with slants, curls, digs, angles, pivots, sweeps, jet sweeps, touch passes. You're not winning with these short intermediate throws. Everyone knows the book on Garoppolo. Short intermediate passes, about 10, 15 yards from the line of scrimmage in the middle of the field between the numbers. He's not throwing outside the numbers. At some point, you have to. At some point, you have to push the ball down the field vertically. The 49ers, if what Joe Staley is saying is true, that Kyle actually prefers to play this style of football and the onus is on yards after the catch, to me, that's just bogus. That means the 49ers are playing football inside of a phone booth. Why would you deliberately and intentionally handcuff your offense like that? Open up the playbook. This is why I was so excited about drafting Trey Lance. I've been asking for this for years I've been saying this for years, and people look at me like I'm crazy. The older I get, the more I realize I'm not for everybody. I'm not. People think I'm too negative. I'm too cynical. I'm too skeptical. I don't like anything. I'm always hating on somebody. I hear this all the time. I get it every day. Oh, you don't like nothing. You got a problem with everything. You always think something's fucked up. Most of the time, because it is. I just call what I see. I just make observations. I'm a fair, honest person. At least I think I am. Like I say in the intro to this show, I call it right down the middle. If it's fucked up, I'm going to say in explicit, direct words, it's fucked up. If it's good, I'll acknowledge it and say it's good. If you're awesome, I'll say you're awesome. If you're shit, I'll say you're shit. This is just who I am. This kind of person I am. It's my DNA. This is what's embedded within me. I can't be phony. I don't like being disingenuous. I call what I see. People say, oh, you talk about that game like the 49ers lost or something. You should just be happy. Stop being so short-sighted. Yes, it's nice to be 2-0. Yes, that's cool. That's great. That's, that's wonderful. Like I said, wins are hard to come by in this league. But what I was told all offseason was that this team is a Super Bowl contender. What I've seen the, past, the first two weeks is not indicative of a Super Bowl contender. We're running out of running backs. The secondary is depleted, and the quarterback can't complete a pass where the ball travels more than 20 yards in the air. Through two games, Garoppolo is averaging just 4.6 completed air yards and 5.1 intended air yards per NFL's next-gen stats. Those numbers have him hanging out at the bottom of the league with the likes of Andy Dalton, Matt Ryan, and Jared Goff. That's not good company to keep. Russell Wilson has 10.3 yards in contrast. Tom Brady has 9, Patrick Mahomes is 8.9, Matt Stafford 8.4, Colin Murray 8.4. It all dwarfs Garoppolo's pathetic output. People always say, why are you so hard on Jimmy? Why are you so tough on him? Why do you not like Garoppolo? He's 26-8. and eight. Look at his win-loss record. When Jimmy plays, we wins. Blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. As I've said before, do we win because of him or do we just win with him? In this league, you have to have elite quarterback play. I'm not saying he has to be Patrick Mahomes. There's only one Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying he has to be Tom Brady. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback who ever played football. There's no one like him. He's a unicorn. He's a fucking vampire. More on him in a little bit. 
I'm not saying he has to be those guys. I'm just asking, at the very least, be 2017 Nick Foles. Just get hot for like a five-game stretch in the playoffs, in the Super Bowl. Be that. Just do that for me. Be 2013 Joe Flacco. Get hot for a four- or five-game stretch in the playoffs. Be 2007-2011 Eli Manning. Just be on a roll. Play out your mind in the playoffs. Go above and beyond. But what those quarterbacks have in common, none of those quarterbacks were ever elite, consistently elite quarterbacks. But what they do have in common was they play high-level, pro-dynamic football for a stretch when it mattered most and led their teams to victory. If Jimmy Garoppolo can't even be 2017 Nick Foles, then what the fuck is he? If you can't even be 2013 Joe Flacco, why are you here? I hold him to a standard, as I said in the previous podcast. I'm a 49er fan. This is a team with a rich tradition of quarterback play and excellence. This is a team with a strong and proud lineage of quarterback play. From Y.A. Tittle to John Brody to Joe Montana to Steve Young to Jeff Garcia to Alex Smith to Colin Kaepernick. At least I thought we had high standards for our play for quarterbacks for the 49ers. I thought we did as 49er fans. Apparently we don't. We've lowered the bar to the point where all we just we just look at Jimmy and say, well, all you got to do is just complete a couple of passes here and there, some short passes, hand the ball off, and that's enough and everything will be fine. Fine doesn't win championships. Awesome wins championships. Tom Brady was awesome in the Buccaneers Super Bowl run last year. Patrick Mahomes was awesome in the Chiefs Super Bowl run two years ago. That came at our expense. Don't think it's too far-fetched to ask for your quarterback who's making $24 million a year to complete, I don't know, a 30-yard corner route down the field, a 35-yard post, a 40-yard go. What is wrong with that? What is wrong with asking for the offense to be opened up? Why are we playing in a phone booth? Don't play in a phone booth. Play at an airport. Play at a flight line. Have unlimited space. Like I said earlier, a football field is 100 yards long and 53 yards wide. Why not utilize every blade of grass on the field? You can't win. We're making the game hard for no reason. The offense is limited because the quarterback is limited. And that's just what it is. I'm just, I'm just honest. If you want to hear bullshit, you want to hear some rah-rah, go-team-go bullshit, you're a 49er fan, listen to this right now, you want to hear some stupid bullshit, some homer bullshit, go somewhere else because I ain't here for that. I'm here for honesty. We have integrity on this podcast. I call what I see. If what I see sucks, is under standard, below standard, is below par, subpar, I'm going to acknowledge that and say it as such. If Jimmy Garoppolo was out there lightening up every week, throwing 40-yard lasers down the field, challenging the defense, I would acknowledge it. I'd say, Jimmy's playing awesome. The challenge has been laid out on this podcast. Play awesome football, and I'll acknowledge it. I'll shut the fuck up. I don't always want to be right. Sometimes I want somebody to prove me wrong. But if I, if I have doubts, if I'm skeptical, if I just don't believe in you, it's probably for a reason. Not just Jimmy Garoppolo, but people in general, people in my everyday regular life. There's people I just don't believe in because they failed me time and time again. I don't expect nothing from them. I know they're not capable. I know they're probably going to fuck it up. They're going to fail. They're going to let me down. I have no expectations for you. People I know in my everyday life, coworkers, friends, family members, whoever, I know at some point from, 
I won't name, I won't say everybody I know, but like there's people I know that I was like, you're gonna fuck it up. You're gonna fail. You're not gonna give me what I want. You're not gonna be what I think you should be. You're not gonna meet my expectations. That might sound arrogant. Fuck it. That's just what it is. If I trust you and you let me down, I lose faith in you. Once upon a time, I trusted Jimmy Garoppolo, and he let me down, consistently let me down. I've never seen him play back-to-back good games in a row. I've never seen a good stretch of games from Jimmy Garoppolo consecutively, like four, five, six good games in a row. I've never seen it before. Why do so many people have so much trust and faith in them? I don't understand this. Especially, here's the other thing that bothers me. When a lot of people keep telling me that something is one thing, when you keep telling me over and over again from multiple people, hey, this guy's good, he's awesome, he's enough, everything will be fine, you're overreacting, he's a good quarterback. I've heard people tell me, Jimmy's top 10. I'm like, what the fuck are you smoking? Are you on bath salts? Are you smoking pencil sharpener shavings rolled up in index paper? What the fuck are you on? People have legitimately, out their mouth, being dead-ass serious, have told me, He's a top five, top ten quarterback. When, where, how, why, what are you talking about? I get upset. Especially, you know, Sunday. Here's my NFL Sunday. I wake up at 7. I go to work out. I'm on the West Coast. So the football games come on early out here. We're playing Philadelphia on the East Coast. That game is a 1 o'clock kickoff on the East Coast, which means it's a 10 o'clock kickoff out here in California where I live at. So I got to get my shit in early. I got to get ready. I come back, make some, make some tea, get my breakfast ready, get my, my cashew cereal, my Fairlife milk, 13% protein with, with D vitamins and omega-3s in it because I'm bougie like that. And I'm watching the game. And I'm like, okay. I try to have some faith. I try to have some false hope. I get my hopes up. I try to be optimistic. I try to buy in. I try to invest like, all right, Jimmy, come on. You had a, good, a pretty good game last week. Do it again. Show me something. Nothing. Dud. Crickets. We don't get a first down until two minutes in the first half? And I'm supposed to be impressed by that? No. Show me the game where it took Tom Brady almost an entire half to get a first down. Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield, Dak Prescott. Show me the game where one of those guys took a whole fucking half to get a first down. Just show me one game. Maybe they have, but I doubt it. Last week's game was the first time since 2016 that a Kyle Shanahan coach team did not get a first down. That was the last, last time the 49ers went an entire first half, first quarter, a quarter period without getting a first down was 2016 when Chip Kelly was the coach of this team, and Chip Kelly was dog shit. Kyle Shanahan scheming guys wide open for you every play. I saw a stat earlier in the week from Pro Football Focus. The 49ers lead the NFL in wide open receivers on plays from scrimmage. 61% of the time, there's a wide open receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. And yet and still, this guy's only thrown two touchdown passes in two games. Your receivers are open more than anyone else's receivers, and you've thrown two touchdown passes. Aye, aye, aye. Let's focus on the positive of the team. 
Let's talk about my favorite player on the team, my man Trent Williams, who has a grade of 92 from ProFootballFocus.com. That's second in the NFL. Trent Williams, a.k.a. the Silverback Gorilla, out here just manhandling, dismantling, destroying, bodying, eviscerating, dismantling, fucking up other grown men on a regular basis. If you want to have some fun, just go on YouTube and type in Trent Williams highlights. He is mauling people on a regular basis. Other grown men Somebody's mama's son is having their dignity taken away from them by Trent Williams on every 49er offensive play. Run blocking, pass blocking, it doesn't matter. Trent Williams is making a complete mockery out of whoever is in his sights. If Trent Williams is coming your way, call the police. Call the National Guard. Get the fuck out of his way. I would run into the stands if I was a linebacker opposite of Trent Williams. I don't want no parts of that. Leave me alone. That dude is impressive. He is awesome. That's a grown-ass man. Trent Williams, salute. Hats off to you, my brother. The best offensive lineman, the best left tackle in pro football, and my favorite player on the San Francisco 49ers. Like I said, if you perform at a high level, if you're awesome, I will salute you and acknowledge you. I have no problem doing that. Trent Williams is awesome. That's why I acknowledge him. Just be awesome. Stop being shit. There's too many people who are shit in this world. Be awesome. Be like Trent Williams. That should be everyone's role model. Be like Trent Williams. He destroys people for a living. Dude's kicking ass, man. Like this, he had a play in that Eagles game. I don't even. I, I think it was Josh Sweat, defensive end for the Philadelphia Eagles. Matter of fact, it might have been the play where Jimmy hit Debo in an in-breaking route for a 40-yard gain, and Josh Sweat comes off the edge, and Debo and Trent Williams, like with pretty much one hand. Just throws this guy. This is a grown man, like 6'4", 260. Not a small. This is a big. It's a football player. He's a big man. And Trent Williams throws him on the ground like trash, like litter. Like it, no effort either. This fucks this dude up. Trent Williams is a goddamn machine. And he's, like I said, making a complete mockery out of other grown men. Someone's mama's son. The most disrespectful player in the league right now is Trent Williams, and I'm here for it. He is violating people every week. Watch Trent Williams' highlight videos on YouTube. He is destroying shit on a regular basis. Hats off to him. Now let's get to the overall strength of this football team, which will be the defensive line, interior defensive lineman Eric Armstead and star edge defender Nick Bosa combined for 10 total pressures and posted a 27.3% and 19.2% win rates respectively. Bosa was the only pass rusher to notch a sack in this game and he did it twice, including a strip sack fumble. DJ Jones was a major force against the run. He earned a positive grade in that facet in the game on nearly one-third of his reps while posting three run stops on the first review of the film. According to Pro Football Focus, Javon Kinlaw blocked a field goal early in the game. The defense kept us in this game, without question. When your offense is sputtering like that and can't get a first down to the two-minute warning in the first half, and it's only 3 nothing, the defense is out there kicking ass. D'Amico Ryan's defensive coordinator also deserves a lot of credit. Well-called game plan, mixing up coverages, confusing Jalen Hurts, shutting down the Eagles' run game. D'Amico Ryans gets a lot of credit for what went down on Sunday. He and Kyle Shanahan were both schematically brilliant last Sunday. Wonderful game plan from both Kyle and D'Amico Ryans, making in-game adjustments, making in-drive possession adjustments, on-the-fly adjustments. 
And that was probably my biggest criticism of Robert Sala. Sometimes he was late with making adjustments. D'Amico Ryans, like I said, in the middle of a drive was making adjustments. Excellent job from D'Amico Ryans as a play caller and our defensive line, like I said, as a star of the football team. Fred Warner, sideline to sideline, making tackles like he is every week. Aziz Al-Shahir, same thing, filling in for Dre Greenlaw. Wonderful job. Defense wins championships, and the 49ers defense, outstanding. Last Sunday was the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia has a gimmicky college-style offense to cater to Jalen Hurts' strength. A lot of bubble screens, tunnel screens, RPOs, quick hitches, a lot, a lot of quick action plays. Uh, it's a college-style offense, like I said, so that requires a lot of discipline, understanding gap assignments, understanding where you're supposed to be and where you're not supposed to be, shit like that, not falling for the smoking mirrors. Just understand your assignments, stay in your gap, stay in your zone, read and react accordingly, do your job. As Bill Belichick and Nick Saban always say, do your job. And the team's going to win. The team's going to be okay. Wonderful job by the defense. The defense won that football game last Sunday. The offense did just enough because they weren't doing shit for the majority of the game, but the defense did just enough to hang in and hold that team to 11 points. Jalen Hurts had 82 yards rushing. Most of that was in the second half. When it was 17-3, they cut the lead at 17-11, and that ends up being the final score. So the 49ers win, but like I said, it's like fucking a lazy, ugly girl at the, end of the, at the end of the bar. It's a win. It's ugly, but she'll take it. Whatever. It counts. It still counts. It still goes on the win total. It still goes on your body count as a man. The girl was ugly, but you still hit it. You still got some pussy. It mattered. It was 17-11. to 11. It was an ugly game, but the 49ers won. It mattered. Moving on to other football games. This game goes off. Now I turn over to the NFL Red Zone channel. And what do I get to see? I see a special treat. Four games with eight quarterbacks, all better than Jimmy Garoppolo. So I get to see real quarterback play in the 4 o'clock window, which is 1 o'clock for me out here in California. Cowboys and Chargers, Dak Prescott versus Justin Herbert. Cardinals versus Vikings. Colin Murray versus Kirk Cousins. Seahawks versus Titans, Russell Wilson, Ryan Tannehill. And then the Atlanta Falcons versus your defending Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And what does that mean? That means we receive the gift, the honor, the privilege, the pleasure of watching God in football cleats, the greatest football player, greatest quarterback who ever stepped on the football field, from Sam, from right out here in the California Bay Area, San Mateo, California, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady, the GOAT, 44 years of age, is still awesome at playing professional football, still playing at an extraordinarily high level. I know it's early. I know it's only two weeks into the season, but the front runners for league MVP right now are Arizona quarterback Kyler Murray and Tampa Bay quarterback God in football cleats, Tom Brady, Last week threw five touchdown passes. Five. Threw five touchdown passes last week. He threw four in week one. He has nine touchdown passes in two games. This is why I could – never mind. I don't want to talk about him anymore. He's targeted, he targeted ten receivers last week, ten different receivers, completed a pass to each one of them. He threw 11.3 yards downfield on average with 58% of his attempts Aimed beyond the first down marker, the second highest figure in the NFL this week. Brady was 24 out of 36, 276, five tutties. Five tutties. 24 out of 36, 276, five touchdowns, no interceptions, clean game. Buccaneers also had two pick sixes in this game. 
shut down Matt Ryan. Brady's, like I said, 9-0 over the Atlanta Falcons. That includes the historic 28-3 point deficit they overcame in Super Bowl 51 when he played for New England versus Atlanta in the Super Bowl. The guy, like I said, he's a vampire. This guy doesn't make sense. You're not even supposed to play football until you're 44. If you do, you're probably a kicker or a punter or something like that. You're not supposed to be a quarterback in the NFL or any other position. There's guys Brady played against that are currently enshrined in the Hall of Fame right now. Ed Reed, Troy Palomalu, Calvin Johnson. Peyton Manning just went in the Hall of Fame. That legendary rivalry with Brady and Manning, all those great clashes in the regular season, the postseason between Brady and Manning. Peyton Manning just got enshrined to the Pro Football Hall of Fame two months ago, or last month, August. Tom Brady's biggest rival, his biggest contemporary. He's in the Hall of Fame. Tom Brady's still playing. What is going on here? This isn't fair. Everyone should get on the TB12 method, the TB12 diet. Apparently, it works. I want to go have an avocado smoothie right now. This guy's 44 and still playing in the NFL and still playing at an extraordinarily high level. This team, period, is illegal. This is why I scoff at people who talk about the 49ers having Super Bowl aspirations. Are you fucking crazy? You really believe? I'm a diehard 49er fan. I love my team. I'm also realistic. We're not beating that team in Tampa. Unless a bunch of guys get hurt. That team's fucking loaded. They have the greatest quarterback of all time. Who's played over 20 years in his league. Seeing every defense, every coverage, every defensive audible, every look, everything a defensive coordinator could possibly throw at him. He's seen it all before. Been there and done that. He's probably studying film right now as we speak. Still playing at a high level. He appears to be getting even better somehow. His arm is still strong. The arm talent is still there. He's still deadly accurate. He can still make, he can make every throw. Imagine that. A quarterback that can make every throw. The playbook is wide open. No risk it, no biscuit down there in Tampa. Last year was so crazy because he threw 40 touchdown passes and led them to a Super Bowl while still learning the playbook on the fly. NFL Network had two extraordinary documentaries about Tampa Bay's Super Bowl run last year, America's Game. They also had another documentary called No Risk It, No Biscuit, where they interviewed all the assistant coaches and Bruce Arians about the Buccaneers' run to a title last year. And they explained, Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach, explained throughout the whole documentary and Bruce Arians, they all talked about how Brady was still learning the offense as the season progressed and he didn't really catch it. He didn't really understand it until about week five, week six. And they implemented some of the principles he used in New England into what they, into what they wanted to do in Tampa Bay. He's still learning the offense. And they won a Super Bowl. Now a year later, he's mastered the offense. Remember last year, because of COVID-19, it was an unconventional offseason. There really wasn't an offseason. There was no OTAs last year, no mini camp, barely a training camp, no preseason games. He didn't even meet most of the people, most of his teammates till he got to training camp a month before the season. There was Zoom meetings throughout the entire offseason. Didn't, didn't know the playbook till middle of the season. Still learning as the season went along. And yet there he was throwing 40 touchdown passes last year. Now, a year later, with a conventional offseason, with all types of practice, all types of opportunities to build a rapport with his teammates, and look at the team mass that he has. This team, like I said, this team isn't fair. This team is illegal. Chris Godwin is the third best receiver on this team. Think about that. 
if Chris Godwin played somewhere else, he'd be the number one receiver. Chris Godwin is an excellent professional football receiver. He's awesome. There ain't nothing wrong with Chris Godwin. Mike Evans is just a little bit better. And Antonio Brown's the best receiver on the team. Him too. Antonio Brown came in the middle of the season last year. He was still learning the offense. People forgot how good Antonio Brown was at playing football because of all the off-the-field shit. Fuck all that. This guy is one of the best receivers in the league. When he's right, when his mind is right, when he's on the field playing, this guy's awesome. Antonio Brown's an elite, proficient route runner. He's fucking incredible. Great hands, can catch everything. Gets open, great speed, great instincts. You look at Antonio Brown's body of work, what he did in Pittsburgh for so many years. This guy like 1,500-yard receiving seasons, like more than one, like multiple times. He had 1,500 yards receiving in a season. This guy's, this guy's phenomenal. Incredible, awesome, amazing, spectacular, wonderful, just above almost every receiver in the league. He's still top 10 in my opinion. Even though he pretty much missed the entire year of football, playing for the Raiders, like I said, the off-the-field issues, none of which was proven true, by the way. There's accusations similar to, the, similar to Deshaun Watson, a whole bunch of off-the-field accusations. No one can prove it to be true. Just he said, she said. Let's just call it what it is. Antonio Brown, you know, not, the, not perfect. No one's perfect. I always say about Antonio Brown, Vontez Burfick fucked his life up. You go back to that playoff game a couple years ago at Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, he got cheap-shotted going across the middle by Vontez Burfick. I really believe that shit did something to him mentally. I feel like that shit fucked his mind up, fucked his head up. He probably got instant CTE from that hit. That was a vicious hit. He was never the same after that. All the fucking problems he had off the field, all the weird personality quirks, Things he was saying, things he was doing came after that hit from Vontez Burfick. But when this dude is right, when this dude's invested and is under control, and like I said, got 100% focus, look out. He has the ability still right now to be a top five receiver in the NFL. But Chris Godwin is your third best receiver. You have Rob Gronkowski. We have Rob Gronkowski, who's caught over 100 touchdowns in this league. He's caught four this season. Four of Brady's nine touchdown passes have been caught by 87 by his best friend, Rob Gronkowski. This guy wasn't even playing football for a year. He was hosting WrestleMania a year and a half ago. He was retired. He just comes off his couch and plays football and is catching touchdown passes left and right. Caught two in the Super Bowl, two in week one, two last week. Cameron Brait, O.J. Howard are also on this team as tight ends. Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones in the backfield of defense. Devin White, Levante David, and Dominican Sue. Vita Vea. Vita Vea is one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. That dude's a run stuffer. That guy's built like a fucking mountain. This team is loaded. This team's ridiculous. Like I said, the only thing that can stop this team is injuries. Who is going to beat that team straight up? You're going to have to catch them on a bad day. I know it's early. This might be a little bit presumptive, but that team is ridiculous. Salute to them. I'm not even mad about it. I have no issue with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers have never done anything to the 49ers. I got no problem with them. Brady's my favorite player in the league. Go ahead. Do your thing, Tom. I got no problem with Tampa. Respect. I appreciate what they got going on down there. It's good football to watch. 
This team is bringing back all 22 starters from a team that won a championship last week with a team with a star quarterback learning the offense on the fly, and now he knows the offense. Spoiler alert, let's go ahead and get this out of the way right now. They are my Super Bowl pick to go back-to-back. My pick for Super Bowl 56 in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, California, Inglewood, I guess, whatever. Super Bowl 56, in my opinion, according to the Deion Gordon podcast, representing the National Football Conference, as I just said, your defending Super Bowl champions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, representing the American Football Conference, the AFC, the Cleveland Browns. You heard what I just said. I said what I said. I said what I meant. I meant what I say. The Cleveland Browns are going to the Super Bowl. Go ahead and laugh. I know you're laughing. Go ahead and laugh, mock, ridicule, call me an idiot. I'm stupid. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't care what you say. I believe with the utmost conviction that my guy, Baker Mayfield, Baker the touchdown maker, is going to lead this team with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and David Njoku and Jarvis Landry, hopefully to get Odell Beckham back sometime this season, coming off a torn ACL last year. This is a good football team, both sides of the ball. Miles Garrett coming off the edge, Javian Clowney. My man Jeremiah Owusu Kamara from Notre Dame, first round, second round draft pick. I like I like a lot of what they got going on in Cleveland. This team took Kansas City to the limit in the playoffs last year and in Week One this year. This team is right there with Kansas City. This is a good football team in Cleveland. People will laugh when I say this; they usually do. But I believe what I'm saying right now. I got conviction in this. Tampa and Cleveland Super Bowl Fifty Six. You heard it. I'm gonna say it again. Tampa and Cleveland. Super Bowl 56. Remember when you heard that. You heard it here first in the Deion Gordon podcast. What else happened in the NFL this week worth talking about? Lamar Jackson got off to a rough start Sunday night football versus the Kansas City Chiefs, a team he was 0-3 against going into that game through two hideous interceptions to begin that game. Was down most of the game. Baltimore was down double digits twice, but Lamar brought him back. They fought back as a team. Baltimore shows resiliency. I count them out. Going, in, going into that game. A lot of people did. They had a tough game on Monday Night Football to begin the season versus the Las Vegas Raiders, who, by the way, look outstanding so far. Derek Carr is a top 10 quarterback in this league right now. Once again, go ahead and laugh. But I'm being dead ass serious. From what I observe, Derek Carr has progressively gotten better and better every year in the NFL, playing for John Gruden. Listen, the Raiders haven't made the playoffs with Gruden as a coach. He should be on the hot seat, but he won't be. It's a 10-year deal. He ain't going anywhere. The defense has been the problem with the Raiders. The defense seems to have caught up this season with Max Crosby and all them guys that got over there now. The defense playing a little bit better football for the Raiders in the 2-0, but the offense is killing shit. And Derek Carr has been playing outstanding football for the first two games of the season. They beat the Ravens on Monday night, beat Pittsburgh in Week 2. On the road in Pittsburgh, it's a tough place to play at. Derek Carr has been playing at a high level with Josh Jacobs in the backfield, Hunter Renfro, Henry Ruggs, Darren Waller at tight end. Darren Waller is a top three tight end in the NFL right now. This is a good football team in Las Vegas. Now, they usually get off to a hot start and then fade down the stretch, so it remains to be seen. But for right now, anyway, they're playing good football. But week one, Monday night, the first game with fans at Allegiant Stadium, the brand-new beautiful stadium in Las Vegas, by the way. I've been to that stadium uh, about a month and a half ago, took a tour of Allegiant Stadium. Nice facility. Wonderful on the inside and out. The Death Star is what they call it. 
It's a beautiful multi-billion dollar stadium. It's a shame they couldn't do that in Oakland, where I was living there for five years, still living in the Bay Area, but it's a shame they couldn't do it in Oakland. They had to go to Vegas and build that stadium. But from when I, I, I lived in Oakland for five years, ain't no money in Oakland, California, so I know what time it is. There's money in Vegas. It's, just, it's a no-brainer to move a team to Vegas. But the first game with people at the stadium, it's a tough draw for the Baltimore Ravens. And they lost that game in overtime, a very good classic football game. All the primetime games so far have been fired for the most part, except for that dud on Monday night with, with Green Bay and Detroit. Everyone knew Detroit had no chance in that game. They hung, it was 17-14 going to the half. Detroit had the lead, but we all know what time it was. The better team showed itself in the second half, started raining in Detroit. Jared Goff couldn't handle the football, and they got outscored in the second half 21-0. So other than that, though, the Washington-New York game was fire. The Baltimore-Las Vegas game on Monday night last week was fire. And the Sunday night game with Kansas City and Baltimore was fire. But Baltimore had a tough draw going on the road in Vegas trying to win that game for the first time. They got fans in the building. That's a tough game. Alejandro Villanueva stunk to join up. He was awful. Mass Crosby apparently didn't get the memo that Black Lives Matter. He tried to kill Lamar Jackson in that first Monday night game. So Baltimore's 0-1 coming back to Baltimore to play against Kansas City, a team they haven't beaten in the past couple years. They're down 14-0. Lamar threw two pathetic interceptions but like I said Baltimore is resilient they fight they battle they won't quit they won't go away a John Harbaugh coach team will never back down and Baltimore didn't do that Lamar Jackson played out of his mind this is a team that's been besieged by injuries they lost J.K. Dobbins in, in training camp they lost Marcus Peters they lost on back-to-back plays they lost Marcus Peters and Gus Edwards the other running back for the Baltimore Ravens they got a lot of injury problems on that team but they fought, and they battled. They pulled a victory out, 36-35. Lamar Jackson balling. Salute to him. Give that man his credit. Give that man his flowers. Too often people talk about Lamar Jackson and what he's not instead of focusing on what Lamar Jackson is. He's a dynamic playmaker. He's also a top-10 quarterback in the NFL right now. It's unconventional, it's unorthodox, but it's effective and it works. And Baltimore wins more games than they lose. Now in the playoffs, when you go against better football teams who can take away what Lamar likes to do and force him to stay in the pocket and try to beat you from there and make throws, it's, it's been a struggle the past couple of years. I don't think he's as bad of a passer as people try to say he is. He does struggle throwing outside the numbers. He does struggle with timing and anticipation. His accuracy... See, it sounds crazy when I say I don't think he's that bad of a passer. I say, like, all the things he struggles with. But it's good enough. It works. He did have an MVP season two years ago. He threw 36 touchdown passes to only six interceptions. It's not like he's throwing a high-volume amount of interceptions. It's not like he's turning the ball over on a crazy crazy rate. He did have two fumbles in the first game versus Vegas. But to me, that was was a guy trying to do too much because he knew he was – depleted at the running back position. They just silenced Tavius Murray uh, and, and also Le'Veon Bell. But still, I think in week one versus Vegas, Lamar was trying to do too much. And like I said, Alejandro Villanueva at right tackle was a turnstile. Alejandro Villanueva played that position like he had a grudge with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's fucking his bitch, and he wanted Mass Crosby to intentionally take Lamar out. Villanueva was awful. In week one, horrendous. 
No other way to put it. You can't sugarcoat it. Much better in this game versus Kansas City. Kansas City did something weird in this game. They had Chris Jones playing on the outside. Chris Jones is one of the better interior linemen in pro football. He's in that category with Aaron Donald, DeForest Buckner, Fletcher Cox, guys like that. He's an awesome interior lineman. They had him playing on the, on the edge and, and run and run pass options and RPOs, which is something that Baltimore does in abundance because they have Lamar Jackson, who's arguably the fastest guy in the league, certainly the fastest quarterback. Chris Jones is on an island trying to defend Lamar Jackson and RPOs and looking like a fish out of water. He looked terrible. I didn't understand that. Kansas City's defense is once again lacking. They have good players in Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew, but across the board, I'm not sure what they have. They got to get that figured out. They got to get that cleaned up because uh, you know the offense is going to score. I've always said this about Kansas City. You can go ahead and give them 31 points getting off the bus. They're going to give you points. They put up 35. Mahomes had over 300. Uh, he had a ill-advised interception late in the game. Mahomes sometimes, too, falls victim of trying to do too much and trying to overcompensate. He's fallen to the ground, just threw it up, and got picked off. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, star running back, second-year man out of LSU, had a key fumble late in the game. I didn't understand the play calling in that situation. You're down 36-35. If I'm trying to come back, and I got, the league, I got a former league MVP and a guy, in my opinion, who's the best quarterback in pro football, I'm not taking the ball out of his hands. I'm not playing conservative either, just playing for a field goal. Baltimore scored like over a minute left on the clock to make it 36-35. That game now belongs to Patrick Mahomes. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is not touching it unless he catches a pass from Patrick Mahomes. I'm playing this game through my star quarterback. And that's out of sorts for Andy Reid. He doesn't usually do that. Andy Reid is all about throwing the ball. Andy Reid doesn't even, most of the time, even want to run the ball to begin with. But funky play calling, poor execution, turnovers down the stretch, cost Kansas City. Baltimore able to come out with a big win on Sunday night in primetime NBC. Salute to them. Congratulations to them. Great effort. The Ravens play like the city that they play in. I'm born and raised in Frederick, Maryland. I've been to Baltimore, Maryland many times, plenty of times. A lot of weekends, a lot of nights in my youth growing up in my 20s were spent down in Baltimore. Concerts, strip clubs, regular clubs, parties, whatever. I've been through Baltimore plenty of times. I love Baltimore. Baltimore always gets a bad rap. There is violence. There's crime. There's drug abuse. There's drug dealing. There's prostitution. There's murder and homicide. But then again, you can find that in every big city in America. That's just what it is. Like, you put a lot of people in, in one condensed area, there's going to be problems. A couple hundred thousand people in one city, yeah, there's going to be some issue. So, uh, to me, Baltimore always got an unfair rap because you can find the same problems in Baltimore in Philadelphia, New York, Boston, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Detroit, Milwaukee, wherever, Oakland, San Francisco, any big city in America has problems. I always feel like Baltimore got a bad rap in that regard. But the Ravens represent the city that they play in to a T because Baltimore is a tough, gritty, blue-collar American city. And that's what the Baltimore Ravens are. Tough, gritty, blue-collar, resilient, won't quit, won't back down. They will give you a fucking fight. If you're going to beat the Baltimore Ravens, you're going to have to actually beat the Baltimore Ravens. It's going to be a tough game. They're going to make you earn it. Salute to John Harbaugh and the culture that they've built in Baltimore to keep this thing rolling for so many years. Can you name a bad Baltimore Ravens team ever? 
You wanted to go back to win with an expansion team in 96. But once they got Ray Lewis and Jonathan Ogden and all them guys, can you name a bad Baltimore Ravens team? When's the last time Baltimore won like 2-14? and 14? I don't remember. I don't think it's ever happened. You ain't never seen a 4-12 and 12 Baltimore Ravens team. They play hard. They play tough and aggressive and good football on a yearly basis. That's a model franchise. I wish San Francisco had that level of consistency where every year they're one of the top-tier football teams in the NFL. But I digress. Moving on to the Meadowlands for the home opener, the home debut of my guy Zach Wilson from BYU, Brigham Young University, Provo, Utah, to New York City. Man, that's a long way in more ways than one. That's a culture shock for this, this little Mormon kid who looks like he's 12 years old going from the cocoon of Provo, Utah, the safety of Provo, Utah, to the bright lights in big city of New York, New Jersey, the metropolitan area. And boy, did he have a rough day, man. Bill Belichick does this to young quarterbacks. So many people are up in arms about Zach Wilson's horrible, horrendous, pitiful, woefully inept performance versus the New England Patriots, losing 25-6, throwing four interceptions, multiple turnover-worthy plays, getting beat up and sacked repeatedly, making terrible throws, bad decisions, etc. Bill Belichick has been terrorizing young rookie quarterbacks his whole career in the NFL. He is now 22-6 all-time versus rookie quarterbacks. Quarterbacks making their NFL debut versus Bill Belichick are 0-8. Now, Zach Wilson wasn't making his NFL debut, but I just figured I'd put that out there. The point is, young quarterbacks are going to suffer and struggle and fail versus Bill Belichick. He's that good. He's a genius. The, the hoodie. The evil genius. Been kicking ass, like I said, since the 80s. Been coaching in the NFL since the 70s as a special teams coach with the Baltimore Colts, the Detroit Lions. Found his way to the New York Giants. Helped them win two Super Bowls with the Jet, with the Cleveland Browns, then with the Jets, and bounced around. Got a job with the Patriots, and the rest is history. Six-time Super Bowl champion Bill Belichick has forgotten more football than anyone else will ever know. He is a walking football encyclopedia, both in history and from a schematic standpoint, from X's and O's. As a coordinator, as a coach, the guy knows football in the back of his hand. And he washed Zach Wilson last Sunday. He confused that young man. That young man didn't know what the fuck was going on. His head was spinning. Like I said, it's a long way from Provo, Utah. And I, If you've been listening to the podcast, first of all, you have good taste. Second of all, you know how high I've been on Zach Wilson. I made a whole podcast about Zach Wilson last October. I put a lot of people on to Zach Wilson. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but beep, beep. I was, av- I was advocating for the 49ers to draft him. We didn't get a chance to. He was already off the board. He went second to the Jets. We had the third pick, took my man Trey Lance. I still believe in Zach Wilson. I said my personal quarterback evaluations going into the NFL draft was that Zach Wilson was the number one quarterback coming into that draft. Trevor Lawrence, two. Trey, La- Trey Lance, three. Michael McCorkle Jones at four. And Justin Fields is five. Of the five quarterbacks taken in the first round, that's that's the evaluations I had one through five. For what I watch, studying film, watching tape, that's how I interpret it. Zach Wilson's going to be good in this league. He wasn't good last Sunday. The skill set's there. The arm talent is off the charts. Want to talk about making every throw? Zach Wilson can do that. Has the physical capability. But it's a learning curve. It's not easy to play quarterback in the NFL, especially when you're a rookie. It's difficult. And when you're going up a fucking tactician like Bill Belichick, look out. Especially 
That game plan the Jets had was stupid. You got to help this kid out. You can't be dropping back to throw that much. You got to mix and match. You got to run the football. Establish the run. They came out throwing. They were throwing way too much. Zach Wilson in this game was a pathetic 19 of 33, 210 yards, 6.4 yards on average, zero touchdowns, four interceptions, sacked four times for 26 yards, a QBR of 8.8, and a quarterback rating of 37. That's not good, obviously. That's terrible. He knows it. I know it. We all know it. But when you got a rookie quarterback devoid of weapons at the skill positions, Who's he playing with? Who's his number one target? Braxton Berrios? Elijah Moore, the rookie out of Ole Miss? You know, four catches, 47 yards. Berrios has seven for 73. But who who else? Who are you throwing to? Who who is surrounding this kid for him to be out there throwing 33 times versus a Bill Belichick defense? That's a recipe for disaster. They had 31 rushes in this game. It should have been 40 or 45. They should have come out and established a run and lean on the run early and often, even if it's not working. If all you're getting is three yards and a cloud of dust, keep running the ball. Don't expose this kid to Bill Belichick's chicanery, to Bill Belichick's defensive mastery. Don't let this kid get ruined by Bill Belichick in his second NFL start. He got beat up last week versus Carolina, and Carolina's really good. That front is nasty. Carolina and Denver are my two sleeper teams. I'll go ahead and say that right now. Denver's 2-0, Carolina's 2-0. Carolina befuddled and destroyed my man Jameis Winston uh, this past Sunday. That was ugly. But that front seven in Carolina being led by Hassan Reddick, that team is nasty. That team is real fun. That team is filthy. Carolina, if you don't know, you should know. Get familiar. They're playing Thursday night football tomorrow night versus Houston. Watch that game. Most people won't watch that game. But you should. If you're a football fan, watch that game. Carolina's filthy up front. Both sides of the ball. They're playing good football. Sam Darnold, former Jets quarterback, balling down there. You know why? He has weapons. He has Robbie Anderson. He has DJ Moore. He has Christian McCaffrey at the backfield. He has a competent offensive scheme to play with. Joe Brady coordinating that offense. Matt Rule, the head coach, formerly at Baylor in college. That defensive front is on pace for 80 sacks this season. They get after it. They got after Zach Wilson in week one. They got after Jameis in week two. They made Jameis look foolish out there. Last Sunday, they, they had Jameis. The last time Jameis looked that bad was when he got caught stealing crab legs. That was bad. But Carolina will do that to you. Like I said, take my word for it. Or just watch them play. That team is filthy. I like what they got going on up front. But back to Zach Wilson. New England is also filthy up front. That's a nasty front seven. That's a good defense overall. McCourty and Van Noy's back in the fold. They brought in Matt Judon from Baltimore. They get after it, New England. With Belichick pulling the strings, that's a good team, man. If you don't know, once again, get familiar. Mac Jones went to a perfect ready-made situation. I made this comment before. I made this point before. I've articulated this. A lot of your success as a rookie, young NFL quarterback in the NFL depends on where you go, what is around you, and who is coaching you, and what kind of scheme you're in. You need, you need things to be friendly towards you. To cater towards you, accentuate your strengths, hide your weaknesses. A lot of the reason Patrick Mahomes had major success in the NFL, number one, he got to sit for a year behind Alex Smith, who, who was playing high-caliber football for Kansas City. And then when Mahomes got the chance to start, you got Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid calling plays and one of the better offensive lines in the National Football League. It's not – football's a team sport, the ultimate team sport. 
it's not just on you as an individual. And when I look at Zach Wilson, I don't know what he has around him. Makai Becton, the starting left tackle, is out for the season with a knee injury. The offensive line is in shambles. That's why this kid gets sacked 40, four times in one game and got beat up in the first game. You need everything around you to help you to work, to be efficient, to be productive around you as a rookie quarterback. Look at Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Same thing. He has nothing down there. What, what does he have? DJ Shark? Shark? LaVisca Chenault? James Robinson's a nice running back. Travis Ncn's out for the season. Urban Meyer, who may or may not finish the season. Urban Meyer, I could, I could very easily see Urban Meyer pulling a Bobby Petrino where like in mid-December, late November, he just quits on the team and says, fuck it. You know what? That job in USC is open. They just fired Clay Helton. Fuck it. I'm not, I don't, this NFL shit is too hard. He even made the comment to Vic Fangio before the Denver game last Sunday. He told Fangio, everyone in the NFL is good. It's like playing Alabama every week. No shit. This is professional football, dude. That's correct. Everyone's good on this level. These are the best football players in the world. You're not in Ohio State anymore. You're not playing Ohio Bearcats or Bobcats, whatever the fuck they're called anymore. You're not playing these bottom feeders every, every other week. You don't get a homecoming game in the NFL. You're playing against professional football players, grown men, every week. Yes, you are correct, uh, Urban Meyer. You're playing Alabama every week. It's tough. But I look at Trevor Lawrence, I look at Zach Wilson. They went to ter- Obviously, if you get drafted one and two in the draft, you're going to poor situations. You're going to terrible football teams for a reason. But the expectation is for you to come in and be the savior. It's easier said than done. So quarterbacks, Trey Lance is in a pretty decent situation when I think about it because he's not, he's not even playing right now. He's not starting. He's not expected to be the savior from day one. Jimmy's still there. You know, for everything I said about Jimmy, he's there, and we are 2-0. And Trey doesn't have to come in and be the savior from day one. And when Trey does get opportunity to play, he's got good football players around him. He's got Debo Samuel. He's got George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Trent Shurfield. If we can get some running backs in the Shanahan system, that'd be nice. Once guys get back healthy, you have a good defense on the other side of the ball. Kyle Shanahan, like I said, a mastermind of calling plays. So when Trey Lance gets his opportunity, I feel like he'll hit the ground running. You have good people around you. Your success as a young rookie quarterback is predicated on what's around you. If you are surrounded by shit, you're going to be shit. So Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence right now look like shit because they're surrounded by nothing. It's just that simple. And like I said, when you go up against a Bill Belichick defense, your day is going to be longer than a CVS receipt. It's going to be that game is going to feel longer than Aretha Franklin's funeral. It's going to be longer than a Monday. It's going to be difficult. It's not. It's not a friendly, positive situation going up against Bill Belichick when you're surrounded by nothing. Robert Sala failed him. I'm sorry. And Matt LaFleur, these, both these guys are with the 49ers the past couple years. I like both of these guys. I'm rooting for both of them. I'm rooting for, for Robert Sala, a minority coach, a, a Lebanese man, getting an opportunity to coach in the NFL. I'm rooting for Robert Sala. But he failed that young man last Sunday. He failed his quarterback. Zach Wilson was let down last Sunday. That wasn't fair to him. You could say life isn't fair, but what is the point of drafting these young quarterbacks if you don't properly groom them? Who's the backup with the Jets, by the way? Can you even name them? In my opinion, a veteran quarterback should have been brought in to back up Zach Wilson. So if he's out there struggling the way he was, you can slide the veteran in, or you can start the veteran from day one. 
and let this kid just ease his way in there. But for him to be out there throwing 33 times a game versus a Belichick defense with New England's front seven being as filthy as it is, that was a recipe for disaster. He was going to fail. I wasn't surprised by that. People were dogging. People have been dogging Zach Wilson all week. I knew that was coming. So hopefully for Zach Wilson and for the New York Jets fans who, you know, Jets fans have suffered long enough, man. I, I feel bad. There's a handful of fan bases I feel bad for. The Jets are one of them. Cleveland, I feel really bad for. Buffalo, Detroit. If you want to meet a loyal person, meet a Detroit Lions fan. Because what, what reason do you even have to be a Lions fan? What have they done in the past, I don't know, 50 years if someone tells you they're a Detroit Lions fan, that's a loyal motherfucker, man. I believe. I trust in that person. A Chargers fan, like all 14 of them. Some, some fan bases are just miserable. I complain a lot about being a 49er fan sometimes, but sometimes I think about it. I'm like, well, I have seen my team play in three Super Bowls. We lost two of them, but still, I've watched my team play in three Super Bowls. If you're a Browns fan, you can't say that. The Browns have never been to a Super Bowl. If you're a Jets fan, the only time your team played in the Super Bowl was 50 years ago. You got to be really old to have a visual, clear recollection of watching the Jets play in the Super Bowl. These people have suffered a lot. The Jets have had horrible draft picks for 50 years, miserable losses, just fail year after year after year. You see, Belichick was the coach of the Jets for like four days, then reneged on that, then took a job with New England, then the rest is history. He goes to the Patriots and wins six Super Bowls. The Jets haven't done anything during that same time. If you're a Jets fan, my heart goes out to you, man. Salute. My condolences. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. Now, I don't usually do that, but if you're a Jets fan, I'm going to pray for you, man, because it can't be easy. Y'all, Jets fans have been through a lot. Jets fans have been through a whole lot. I salute you. Hang in there, man. Hopefully it gets better. Like I said, I'm rooting for Robert Sala, and I'm rooting for Mike LaFleur. I said Matt earlier. Mike LaFleur, Matt's the head coach of Green Bay. And I'm rooting for Zach Wilson, man. Like, fingers crossed. Hopefully you guys get that shit turned around. There's nowhere, there's nowhere else to go but up. That's all you can say. Look on the bright side. The glass is half full. Speaking of young rookie quarterbacks, Justin Fields will have an opportunity to start in the NFL this Sunday. The moment that all Bears fans have been waiting for. Be careful what you wish for. Because my eye test tells me I don't think he's ready. I want him to be ready because I root for black quarterbacks. Every, every black quarterback in the league, I root for these brothers. Even Russell Wilson, even though he's in my division, I root for the brother. Colin Murray, too. I root for all the black quarterbacks. But truthfully, being honest, I'm not sure if Justin Fields is ready to start yet. You saw in preseason he had a problem identifying where the blitz is coming from and setting his protections, and he got blasted in a preseason game versus Miami. He got his helmet knocked off, literally. And he, didn't, he didn't see the guy coming. He didn't know where this guy was blitzing from. Couldn't set his protection, couldn't identify the coverage, couldn't figure out who, who the free rusher was. Go back to last Sunday, Andy Dalton tweaks his knee. He's out. That's why Justin Fields is starting. Justin Fields got in the game, was less than impressive, like 6 of 11, like 87 yards or something like that, a pick, a fumble, and got recovered by Chicago. He got baited into that interception, never saw the linebacker sitting underneath. I'm rooting for the brother. I don't have that much confidence in his first start. He can prove me wrong. Like I said, you prove me wrong, I'll shut up, and I'll give you, I'll give you your flowers if you – Prove me wrong. I have no problem doing that, but 
It could be a rough go. Bears fans, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Justin Fields may or may not be ready to play starting quarterback in the NFL. Based on what my eyes tell me, based on what I've seen on tape, he may or may not be ready. I'm leaning towards he's not ready. Just my opinion. Take it how you want to. It is what it is. Uh, Salute to the Tennessee Titans, man. Thank you. We appreciate it for a comfort-behind victory over those low-grade son-of-a-bitch Seattle Seahawks. Big win by Tennessee. Derrick Henry carrying the water in the second half. You know, Derrick Henry's a big bruising running back. And he just beats you up for all four quarters. In the fourth quarter, you're waving the white flag. You want no parts of that. That man's too he's too big. This is too much. You've been trying to tackle this guy for four quarters. In the fourth, you're tired, you're worn down, you can't take it anymore. He just beats you up. And despite the referee's best efforts to give Seattle the game with a bogus call that went against Julio Jones, who clearly had two feet in bounds, and then an even more bo- even more egregiously bogus call on Russell Wilson, who should have been called for intentional grounding, threw an incomplete pass out of the end zone inside the tackle box to no one in particular. No one was in the clear vicinity of this football. By rule, by definition, that's a safety. It wasn't called. They inexplicably said he threw it from the one-yard line. Go back and watch the footage. Russell Wilson still in the end zone when he threw his pass. But since he was able to get the ball back, kick a field goal in overtime, win the game. Thank you, Seattle. Uh, th- thank you, Seattle and Tennessee. But thank you to Tennessee more so. Appreciate it. Seattle is now the only team in, in, in the NFC West who has lost a football game. San Francisco, 2-0. Rams, 2-0. Uh, Seahawks, 1-1. One one. Always a great day in America when those son-of-a-bitch Seahawks lose a football game. Thank you, Tennessee, once again. Speaking of the Rams, they beat the Colts to go 2-0. Poor Carson Wentz. This dude has not one but two sprained ankles. He has no ankles to stand on, literally. He had COVID-19 about a month ago. He was on the COVID list. He had a foot injury the first week of training camp. He got cut by the Eagles. This thing was supposed to work for him in Indianapolis. Going to the Colts, Frank Reich, who was the offensive coordinator in 2017 when Carson Wentz was putting together an MVP caliber season. It's supposed to be an easy transition. You already know the offense. This was the best case scenario for Carson Wentz. Nothing but bad luck ever since he's gone to Indianapolis. This guy literally, well, he, he can catch a break. Unfortunately, he's catching a lot of breaks, but he can catch a break in regards to something positive happening to him. This guy always is fucked up. And it's sad because Carson Wentz is a talented football player. As I just said, I've seen Carson Wentz play MVP caliber football in this league. I've seen Carson Wentz carry some piss poor Philadelphia Eagles teams 2018, 2019. I've seen Carson Wentz is talented. Another way to put it, when he's right, when he's healthy, I don't know if his mind is fucked up. I don't know what's going on with it, but when he's right, this dude's a top 10 quarterback, top 10 talent. When he's right, right now he's not top 10. Right now he's barely top 20. He's struggling. First game. Didn't play well. Last week versus the Rams, didn't play well. Lost the football game. Played Seattle week one, wasn't good in that game. I think part of the problem is the offensive line. You could say the offensive line, or you could say Carson Wentz is holding on to the football too long. Either way, something's got to give. Something has to happen. Indianapolis is 0-2. This is a playoff team from a year ago with Phillip Rivers as head coach. And they really thought that bringing in Carson Wentz, they have a good roster in, in Indianapolis. They have good football players. Darius Leonard, DeForest Butner, Michael Pittman, a receiver. Quentin Nelson, the best right guard in the NFL. This is a quality roster. They have good football players on both sides of the ball. And they thought that Carson Wentz was the missing piece. And right now, he literally is the missing piece. He's missing from the field because he's hurt and not playing. 
So in your own two, fortunately for Indianapolis, they play in a horrible division. I would say the AFC South is the worst division in pro football. A lot of people will argue the NFC East, but I would say the four teams in the NFC East are better than the four teams in the AFC South. That's just my opinion. Jacksonville's in that division, terrible. Houston's in that division, probably going to be terrible. Colts right now, 0-2. So the best team is Tennessee, who was down 24-9 versus Seattle. It wasn't like Tennessee was in control of that game. They had to come from behind and win that game. But they were very close to being 0-2 themselves. So the AFC South is a dumpster fire right now, in my opinion. Somebody's got to win it, though. It will probably be similar to the NFC East last year with somebody's like 8 and with a 17 game season now, so somebody can be nine and eight at, at best, eight and nine, seven and ten, and win that piss poor, sorry, piece of shit division. Like I said, somebody has to win it, but it's not looking good for all four teams in that division. Um, and the last thing, last game I'll talk about is Dallas and the LA Chargers. I'm, just, I'm gonna go ahead and say this right now: Tony Pollard is better than Ezekiel Elliott right now. Zeke runs like he has a piano on his back. That explosion, that burst that he had in his rookie season, gone. Been gone for a couple of years now. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to say it out loud. Zeke Elliott is not the best running back on that team. Tony Pollard right now is a better running back than Ezekiel Elliott. You heard it here. I said what I said. Dak Prescott played a good game. Dallas' defense is getting better. They still give up a lot of yards, kind of a bend but don't break kind of thing. But they force turnovers. They get pressure. Michael Parsons, the rookie out of Penn State, lining up all over, the, all, all over the defense. They got pressure on Justin Herbert. They forced turnovers. They got a couple of gifts from the referees late in that game. Justin Herbert called for a sack when he probably could have made a play. They said he was in the grasp, blew the whistle a little bit early. Controversial call. They had illegal formation or too many men on the field. Illegal formation when Jared Cook caught a touchdown pass from Justin Herbert. It wouldn't. Gave him the lead, a go-ahead score. They took that off the board. So, you know, some things happened in that game. It's kind of funky, kind of weird. But give Dallas credit for improving their defense and beating the L.A. Chargers, a really good football team in their own right. I like the Chargers. That's another team to look out for. Um, but the Chargers just have a, a habit of not being able to close out games. They always lose close games. That was the, the biggest reason why Anthony Lynn got fired from the Chargers last year because he had a poor record in close games and one-score games. The trend is now continued with Brandon Staley coming over from the Chargers, coming over from the Rams to the Chargers, defensive coordinator of the Rams last year, now the head coach of the Chargers. And the trend still continues. They can't win close football games for some reason. So that's something they got to get cleaned up going forward. But, um, yeah, Dallas won. Congratulations. I don't normally – you know, Dallas is probably the team I hate the most in the NFL. But, you know, you got to call a spade a spade. They played a good football game. Dallas could easily be 2-0. I mean, that, that first game of the season, that Thursday night kickoff versus Tampa Bay, that couldn't win Dallas's way. It didn't. Brady pulled it out in the fourth quarter like he usually does. But Dallas could very easily be 2-0. That's a good, same thing, good football team. They got playmakers, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, Tony Pollard, who, like I said, is the best running back on the team. Defensively, they've improved, different scheme. Playing the cover three this year, so that nonsensical shit they were playing last year with Mike Nolan as defensive coordinator. So when the guys playing out of position, out of gaps, and this weird ass assignments going on last year, Dallas's defense last year was a fucking dumpster fire. That was awful. 
They couldn't stop a nosebleed. This year, like I said, getting pressure, forcing turnovers, still get, still give up a lot of yards, but it's enough. And the offense is good enough, and Dak Prescott coming off that injury is playing really good football the first two weeks of the season. You wouldn't even know that Dak Prescott was hurt and missed 11 months after a catastrophic ankle injury last year. You wouldn't even know by watching him play. He hasn't missed a step. So give Dallas credit uh, in that division. Like I said, the Eagles are better than people thought. New York is 0-2 for the fifth year in a row. They lost a Thursday night game to Washington. Washington's kind of weird, too. Is Taylor Heineke for real? Who knows? Remains to be seen. The defense, number one, top five last year, kind of giving up some big plays so far this season, but they did enough to hang in there and beat the Giants in that Thursday night in another really good football game. Daniel Jones is better than people want to give him credit for. I always like Daniel Jones. He does have a propensity to turn the football over too much, but when he cuts down his turnovers, and for some reason he plays lights out versus Washington, that loss last Thursday was his first loss versus Washington, but it wasn't his fault. He played an outstanding football game last Thursday. His teammates and his coaching staff, namely Jason Garrett, let him down, and in particular there was a drop pass in that game late in the game from Darius Slayton. I mean, he was wide open, and that's closest Washington defender was in PG County. This brother was wide open and dropped what would have been a go-ahead score to make it 30-23. to They ended up losing the game 30-29 to on a last-second field goal. You know, they got guys lining up off sides, made it easier for Washington to get a closer kick and make the field goal. The Giants just always figure out ways to lose. Joe Judge always talks about discipline. That team's not disciplined. When you're making critical errors like that late in the game, stupid boneheaded penalties, that reflects back on you, the head coach. That's not discipline. Your team is not disciplined. They're making critical, stupid-ass errors like that late in the game to cost you a football game. Why is a guy lined up offsides on a field goal attempt? And you're supposed to be a disciplined football team? No, you're not. So the Giants are a mess. Fortunately for them, though, they play in a shaky division where you can start off 0-2 and still be in contention to win the division because none of those teams are really 100% trustworthy. Like I said, Dallas has turned the corner so far for first two games. I still need to see more. Can they keep this up? Can they be consistent? Washington, same thing. Taylor Heineke, can he be consistent at quarterback? He played a hell of a game last Thursday. Played an outstanding game in the playoffs last year versus Tampa. Of the, of the four quarterbacks Tampa played in that Super Bowl run last year, Taylor Heineke gave him the most trouble. More than Drew Brees, more than Aaron Rodgers, more than Patrick Mahomes. Taylor Heineke was the best quarterback, had the best performance anyway, versus Tampa Bay in the playoffs last year. Heineke got some game. He can play. But can, can he put it together for an entire 17-game season? That remains to be seen. Consistency, longevity is part of playing that position. Let's see if Taylor Heineke can do it. But that's a, that's a recap of week two in the NFL. This is almost 90 minutes. Are you still awake? Hopefully you are. Uh, I, got no, I got nothing left. That's all I can say. That's pretty much every game I recap. I think the only – yeah, I think that's pretty much every game. If it's not and the game wasn't that important anyway, fuck it. Um, good week of football. Love football, as you can tell. If I could talk about football for 90 minutes, I must love it. Awesome NFL games, awesome primetime games, competitive, high-spirited, good football. Can't say enough about it. Appreciate what the NFL is giving me right now. The highest form of entertainment on this earth is football, both pro and college. 
but uh, specifically the NFL, professional football, good shit, love it, can't wait to see the game tomorrow, can't wait to the Sunday night game, this Sunday, obviously, redundant, Green Bay, San Francisco, my beloved San Francisco 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo, play better football this week, and I'll shut up, and it's, the challenge is there, step up to the challenge, play good quality, consistent football, and I will shut the fuck up and give you your credit, that's all it takes, Play football at a high level. Do your job. Be the guy everyone says you are, and I'll shut the fuck up. That's all I got to say. Thank you once again for listening to the Deion Gordon Podcast. Always humble, very much appreciative, eternally grateful. One last thing before I go, check out my man Ronnie Vanderpool, who also has a podcast, Talking Shift. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash Ronnie-Vanderpool. Um, talking shit, my man Ronnie Vanderpool in the main event representing Harlem, New York, Fifth and Lennox. Know what I'm saying, son? Know what I mean? You get the bacon, egg, and cheese, Ock. Know what I'm saying? Word to mother. Sean Meep just got busting his head two times. God, word to mother. Know what I'm saying? I'm going uptown, get my culture cipher, God. All types of blood leaking out shit. Crazy shit. I'm sorry, I got carried away there. But check out my man Rodney Vanderpool's podcast, Talking Shift. It's on Anchor, Spotify, wherever you can find podcasts at. Talking shift, Rodney Vanderpool. Salute to that brother. Good looking out. One love forever and always. Support that brother. Support my podcast. Support black podcasts in general. Support black people in general. Black men, black women, black children. It's all love over here. Black power forever and always. I stay pro-black with mine. Peace to everybody listening to this podcast. One love to each and every one of y'all. Until next time, picture me rolling. I'm out.